Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Support for this podcast is provided by Subtruck Law. Revolution Recap thanks Subtruck Law for their support of our show, local independent media, and their mission of bringing unbiased truth. Welcome to Revolution Recap, where we've got a special episode today with an interview with the recently named head coach and general manager of Rhode Island FC and former New England Revolution player, Kano Smith. Though we didn't get into it in the interview, I did want to quickly mention the latest news that Rhode Island FC plans to begin play in 2024, regardless of the recent stadium hurdles, whether or not the Tidewater Landing Stadium is ready for the season with alternative venues being considered. Before we get into the interview, I wanted to quickly mention the sponsor of this podcast, Glocko Kits. Glocko Kits is the go-to place to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home. The passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders, and neither does the selection. And if you head to GlockoKits.com today, you can get 15% off your order using the code REVSRECAP. That's REVSRECAP at checkout for 15% off your order at GlockoKits.com. Also, as a quick follow-up to our recent interview with members of the New England Revolution amputee soccer team, we wanted to mention that tickets to the April 1st Revolution game against New York City FC, where they will be playing at halftime, are available for purchase with a portion of the proceeds going to the New England Revolution amputee soccer team. We'll include the link in the show notes for this so you can find that. And as always, we appreciate all the ratings and reviews we've gotten on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and anywhere else you may be listening. Keep those coming. And now here's the interview. Today, we welcome back to Revolution Recap, Kano Smith, the former New England Revolution player in Bermuda International, who recently was named the head coach and general manager of Rhode Island FC. Kano, I believe this is your third appearance on Revolution Recap, but the last time was 17 years ago when we were broadcasting live Sunday nights in Providence. Welcome back. And how are you doing? I oh, appreciate it. Thanks. That makes me... Uh... I don't know how that makes me feel, if that makes me feel old or, or what, but <laughs> happy to be back home. Yeah, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to age us both, but I looked it up, and last time you were on happened to be my 18th birthday, so time flies. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Well, yeah, it definitely does fly. <laughs> uh, but first of all, how did the Rhode Island FC opportunity come about? Was it something that you, you know, actually reached out for, or did, did they come to you? How did, how did this all happen? Yeah, I mean, I, I think once I heard it was happening, um, and I, I saw that um, – uh, Michael was involved. Uh, I just kind of touched base, touch base with him. And look, we've we've stayed in contact sporadically, like over the years. So, um, and then it just got to a point where I sent him, um, I sent him my resume, and you know, obviously updated with all the the coaching and everything that I had been doing. Um, and then we just kind of stayed in contact. And then um, towards the end of last year, it started to get real. Um, I did a couple of interviews with him, um, Zoom interviews with him, and then he brought on other board members. Um, in the interview process, and then uh, it ended up with me um, taking a trip up to Rhode Island, and then uh, them offering me the job. So that's kind of the basic basics of how it came about. So how influential would you say Michael Parkhurst was in, in kind of making this happen and in, in your decision to come up to Rhode Island? Yeah, look, he's obviously he was obviously a key person, um, and he was obviously the person. You know, it's for me life is. It's all about connections and how you treat people. So obviously from the beginning, he obviously, him and I had a good relationship and, and obviously we were teammates and it was obviously really easy and accessible for me to, um, to connect with him. So that certainly helped, but he's also a really smart guy and a very successful guy. And he's also not going to his, put his uh, reputation next to something that he doesn't really believe in. So I obviously had to convince him that I knew what I was talking about and what I was, what I was doing and my vision for the club. And then, 
Um, and then that kind of took it from there. So it's, it certainly wasn't just because we were teammates. Um, I had to I had to earn the right, but I've done the work and he did his work and his research on me. So he was certainly key. Um, and as going forward, as we build this thing, I see him being a, a key asset and somebody that, that helps me because he's he thinks different than me, which is what I like. And he's he's so calm and composed um, all the time. So he's always somebody that I'm, I'm going to lean on. And it's going to be a great asset to have somebody like him involved in the club for me. It's obviously a unique opportunity to be a club's first head coach and get to build the team from the ground up. What are your first steps in that process a year out from starting to play games? I think I read that you're heading on a scouting trip too soon. Is that right? Yeah, so I'm going out to Florida um, to watch the, the generation MLS generation Adidas Cup. And it's something I'm really looking forward to. I've obviously never really really had the opportunity. And I know it's high-level young, young players in and around the country that um, – We'll be playing in that tournament, and I think it's a trend that you're starting to see happening that um, players are looking for different opportunities of what MLS can offer them. Um, obviously, the poster, top, poster child for that would be Jonathan Gomez. He goes and he plays in a, a USL club for six months to a year, and he gets um, an offer to go overseas at a really prestigious club. So I think you're going to see that happening a lot more. And USL, it's obviously different than MLS, so I think people appreciate what USL has to offer. Um, so just going down there and obviously get my eyes on that talent because I obviously haven't seen it for my own eyes. So it's going to be good for me to have that barometer of what of what it looks like. And hopefully sometime down the road, we, we can we can start to get ourselves in, involved in that trend with the good young players coming to USL, playing a few years developing and then getting moved on to Europe. And it's obviously weird kind of being a year out from starting to play and, and signing guys. Uh, do you anticipate signing some players you know, soon that you then loan out to other clubs so they play this year? Or, or when do you think that process kind of starts as far as actually you know, getting guys on the roster? Yeah, look, obviously, you know, it's, once I looked around and I looked at what other USL clubs have done um, in the past, quote unquote, USL expansion clubs, there most were starting to announce signings later in the year. Um, obviously, we hope to be be ahead of that. Um, but, you know, it's obviously going to be some things that we can't control. Yeah, we can maybe go out and sign a player that's on the contract somewhere else. But he's out of contract six months, but then we do announce that. Like, There's obviously things that we really can't control if somebody's on the contract. Obviously, if a player is out of contract, is that a player that we, that we really want? Um, so you're probably looking at players that are – probably in contract and that are coming out of contract as you're looking at signing. So when, when we announce our first signing, who knows, but we're obviously going to be working. And that's, that's the main part of my job is at this point is putting a team on the field. That's going to be competitive and that's going to be successful in this league. Um, so when that starts to take shape and take form, who, who knows, but you can, you can bet everything that you have that I will be going around the country uh, in the world, looking locally um, to find players. So, you know, we're going to have other planning, um, scouting trips planned to, to different parts of the world. So I'm just really looking forward to it because it's something that I've never really had the opportunity to do. And your last job was as an assistant coach at the Birmingham Legion under your, another former Revolution teammate, Jay Heaps, who was president and general manager. Um, was he supportive of you taking this new position and have you been able to kind of lean on him for advice in building a new team? Because he, he was kind of in the same situation taking over Birmingham before they started in, in building a team. Yeah, and look, it's obviously we, him, myself, and Tom, we, we all kind of went through the same thing together of, of being together and building the roster, and both of them have been supportive of me throughout this process. And in my first ever sit down and talk with Tommy about, I guess, working for the club was that he, he spoke about wanting to develop me and, and, 
and make me into a head coach one day. And that's something that he stuck to his word. And he's, you know, he's someone that's always going to be a mentor to me. Um, they both already said, let me know, you know, where we can help when we can. And obviously they're not going to help me too much because we're going to be competitors. Um, at some point we're going to be playing against them, but I think the relationship go deeper than that too, right? Like Tommy's always going to be a mentor to me. Um, actually going over to his house this, this evening for a barbecue. So um, I can, I know I can always lean on those two guys and, you know, I've experienced stuff with them and we've been through building a roster together and building a team and we learned what works in this league and what doesn't work in this league. So hopefully I can take some of that um, knowledge that I've learned from them and working with them and, and building a good team in Rhode Island. And you've played and coached at, you know, all over the world. What what did you learn from your time at Birmingham about coaching at the USL championship level? And, and how does that league kind of compare to, to other leagues that you've been involved with? Yeah, I think it's a good question, you know, because I think for me, USL, it's a fun league and I enjoy it because it's, it's really diverse. And I, when I mean that, you look at stadiums, you look at um, rosters, you look at coaches, like I feel like it's very diverse in terms of playing styles and formations and where clubs are located. Like they're obviously located in, in cities that I guess you would call mid-major cities, they're not the big market cities, but mid-major cities. And um, and it's still really great places to visit. You know, it's just places that I've never visited probably in the country on my own. And it was really great to travel around and see those places and see the different fan bases, like places like New Mexico and Oakland and, uh, and Phoenix and Louisville. Like these are all such amazing mid-market cities that I really enjoyed being in and then it's the playing styles are different and the fan bases are different and you know I obviously love MLS and played in MLS and, and worked in it for a little bit as a as a youth coach but I think what you see in MLS is a lot of the same stuff like a lot of the teams play the same formations a lot of the stadiums are built by the same architects like it, it, it looks a lot of it looks the same um, where I think in USL is really fun and unique and diverse and it's a strong league like it's tough it's not it's not easy. Um, people think it is because it's a second tier league. And, you know, sometimes you see players coming from MLS and they struggle to adapt in the league. Um, you see coaches coming sometimes have an MLS background and it's not as easy as people think. And I think we learned that in the first year in Birmingham, um, because a lot of our roster was guys that were what a, quote unquote, wherever you want to call them, MLS, um, guys that fell off MLS rosters and that necessarily didn't translate to success. We still made the playoffs, but we had to kind of, revamp our thought process of how we were recruiting and the guys that we were recruiting. So look, I, I think it's an incredible league. I think it's a strong league. Like I, I don't think for a long time leagues in this country have always come and gone. And I think USL's here to stay permanently. It's, it's, it's really growing as you can see by us coming in and the investment that our club is putting into, into the whole infrastructure of the club. Like I think it's people are not starting to, to see how valuable this league is. And Brett Johnson and the ownership group is also involved with Phoenix Rising. Is is that a team you're able to, you know, have, have there been meetings with them to kind of give you help on setting up this club? Or is there you know, kind of synergy between the two teams, even though uh, just like Birmingham, you're also competitors? Yeah, I mean, they're definitely going to be competitors. And look, I, I don't know what Brett's involvement is with the club now. Obviously, I do know he was he was part of it at some level at some point in the in the past. Um, I can't really speak on that, but I, I know I have personal relationships at Phoenix. I know the GM, Bobby Dooley, really well, and Bobby's someone that I, you know, I know I can call and, and lean on for stuff because he is the GM, so I'm obviously going to have GMD, so he's certainly somebody that I'm going to lean on and somebody that has experience, again, at building a very successful club um, in USL. So will it be club synergy? 
I, I don't know. I don't think so. But I think personal, on a personal level, myself, I, I do have people at the club that that I know fairly well. And look, obviously, the only time we will maybe meet is one or two times in the regular season, and maybe in the in the championship one day. Um, but I do think Bobby will be he will be willing and able to help me because he's 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 a good guy and he's been successful in this league. And we've seen the New England Revolution loan players to USL Championship clubs in the past. They currently have Ben Revito on loan at Birmingham. Given your connections to the team and obviously the proximity helps, do you expect that getting players on loan from the Revs that might be looking for more playing time will be a possibility? Yeah, look, as you said, I obviously still have really good connections at the club. And look, I can't speak on what on what they want to do um, and how they want to do things. But look, we will obviously have lines of communication. I will certainly be open to it. And it has to be the right fit. Um, it has to be the right fit for them. It has to be the right fit for us. But it's obviously if it's somebody that's going to help us come in and win games and in turn on their end, I can't really speak for them. But if it's going to help somebody develop um, to be a good player for their club, I'm certain, certainly sure we will have conversations about it. Um, but just to have those connections and be able to, to connect with those people again is something I'm really looking forward to. I'm going to jump back a couple of decades. How, how did you first end up leaving Bermuda? You know, you have a lot of experience in New England now, but how did you first end up leaving Bermuda and eventually end up playing at Champlain College in Vermont? Yeah, good question. Because not many people know that I was there for one year. Um, but I ended up going to uh, boarding school in Maine. Um, I was 14. And look, I, I wasn't a bad kid at 14 years old, but in Bermuda. At that time, if you really didn't want to do your schoolwork, it was my first year in high school. I just... I didn't have to do it. Like it wasn't babysitting anymore. The teachers didn't have time for it. And, you know, I was doing stuff that kids do, skipping school and getting bad grades. And my mom was like, look, if you keep this up, I'm just going to send you away to school one day where you have no choice but to go to school. And I'm like, why, brother? I'm still doing my thing and, you know, just playing soccer and running track and doing all the things that I was doing. And, um, and then one day she just came to me and she uh, she gave me a choice of five schools, I think, and one was like in Vermont, one was a military school in Florida, and I think the one was that I chose was the one in Maine, and I picked that one because um, I was able to wear regular street clothes to, to school, and I didn't have to wear a, a uniform, I didn't have to wear a tie, I didn't have to wear a military outfit, so that was completely out, so I picked that one, and then couple of weeks later, she's like, okay, let's start packing your bags. And I was like, I was in complete shock. Um, and I wasn't happy with her. <laughs> um, I think that's the only time I'd never called on her birthday in September because I was, I was just really upset and immature at the time. But it was the best thing for me that she could have ever done. Um, so I went to that school, Maine Central Institute, for four years. Um, and then there still, like, obviously, <laughs> education probably wasn't my priority. So I ended up having to go to a... Uh, a junior college and look, being where I was in central Maine, like I wasn't getting much looks anyway for colleges and it's completely different today. Like back then you haven't the same games on VHS and blah, 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 all of that. Now it's easy with YouTube and social media um, to market yourself. And look, I just wasn't good at that at that age. So I ended up at Champlain college, stayed there one year. Then I went to Lee's McRae college um, my last three years. And then, um, Graduated from there, had a really good career there, graduated, and then um, ended up actually back in Bermuda for a little bit, um, working and, and being a PE teacher at a middle school. And then that's when the refs came um, to Bermuda for preseason, and I played against them and scored against them, and then they invited me on a trip to Ecuador, um, and then I scored on that trip, and then the rest the rest is history. It kind of just takes off from there. Obviously, then playing for the club, then had the career. So I've, I've been, been fairly... Um, I know New England really well, so I've, I've lived in 
well, once I get to Rhode Island, I will have lived in five out of the six states in New England. So I lived in uh, New Hampshire for a little bit as well when I was at Southern New Hampshire. So, you know, I got I got New England down to a T. I've spent some time in Bermuda in the winters. I know it's about 70s or, or 60s there. Was it quite the uh, shock to the system to, to be in Maine for the winter that first time? Oh, yeah. I had no I had no clue. I had no, I think it was probably the first time that I ever seen snow and I didn't know how to dress and buying clothes. I obviously didn't have the clothes. I didn't have the big winter jackets. Like now I know, I, I know, you know, I got, I would have a scraper in my car. You know, I have everything now, but back then I had no clue what I was doing, but that's how you learn. I was just thrown into the fire and um, I was able to figure it out. So now look, it's being in the South now, people are like, oh yeah, it's going to be cold. Are you going to handle that? And I'm like, listen, I've been there, done that. I know, <laughs> I know what to expect now. So in Rhode Island, it's actually not as cold as the rest of New England, so no. it'll be fine. Um, and you know, when you had to go back to Bermuda after after college uh, to play there, and you know, more of a part time part time playing when you're there, uh, did you anticipate still that you would you know end up becoming a full time pro player at that point, or how, how exciting was it when that opportunity with the Revs came after a few years? Yeah, good question, because, you know, I think what I learned in my time in the U.S., and look, it's, you know, being in Bermuda, it's one of the great things about it. It's an island, and, you know, you have an island lifestyle, and it's pretty laid back. And um, But I think I, I learned in my time in the U.S. is being around other people, being around other athletes. Like, I, I have a good friend of mine that's, um, that's uh, he's, he was in the NBA, and he's now coaching at a high level in in the NCAA um, with West Virginia. And, um, I think I just picked up on people's mentality of what it took to be successful, um, and how hard you had to work. So once I went back to Bermuda, I think my mentality was different. And even though I, there was no pathway for me to leave and playing for my local club and playing in a national team, like it just didn't happen. Um, like it, but I always had, I always trained like that was happening. And, I would work hard. I was training with the national team twice a week. I was training with my club team twice a week. I was working out on my own um, in the gym. So I was just training for something. I didn't know what it was for because there was no pathway uh, for me to leave. But once that opportunity came, I just, I was ready. Like I, I just felt that I was ready and I obviously had to take that opportunity and play well and, and still get invited and then go to Ecuador. But yeah, I guess to answer your question, I, I wasn't, I wasn't planning for it, but I guess I was because I was training like I was a professional. So I couldn't continue that amateur lifestyle and expect to, to go and play as a professional. So I was training like I was a professional. And then you got to join a, a very successful Revolution squad that made it to three straight MLS Cup finals during your time there, won a U.S. Open Cup and a Super Legal title. What was it like being a part of those teams? Uh, I've talked to a lot of your teammates in the past over a couple of years. It seems like there a lot of camaraderie and uh, you know it was, it was a fun time to be part of the Revolution. Yeah, for sure. And it was like, for three years, I never knew anything else but making it to MLS Cup, right? And so it was, it was, it was really fun. And obviously, that still really burns and uh, pushes me to win now. It's like losing in those three finals because, look, it, it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful time. But just not to win one, like it still hurts, um, and it probably always will, um, because I do think we were good enough to to win at least one and. Look, we lost every way possible that we could, and we were just unlucky. We lost in penalties. We lost after going up and scoring. We lost after dominating the first half and then losing the second half. So it was, it's, it definitely still burns me, but it was fun. Like, I look back on it. I wouldn't, obviously, the only thing I would change is winning one. But the relationships that I have, obviously, Shari is still one of my, one of my best friends. And, 
being able to get back to New England and connect with him is something that I'm really looking forward to. Um, since getting the job, like multiple guys have reached out. You know, I still kind of speak with James Riley. Uh, me and Andy Dorman is playing phone tag. Um, Pat Noonan, I reached out to him for some advice. Uh, obviously, Taylor always kind of connects with Taylor, and he said something nice when when the thing, when the announcement went out. So multiple guys, Chris Tierney's reached out. Um, so it's it's just look, it, it was a good time, and I again like um as I get older, like I I realized that um, relationships are important, and those relationships that I had with those guys, and it was built off of being a successful team, but. We were a successful team because we were all good people and we were competitive and we all wanted to win and we all had the same vision of, of being able to win. So those relationships are going to be going to be key. But it was a, it was such a great time to to be there and be part of that. And obviously with the coaching staff and you know obviously we lost Paul, but some, Paul's always somebody that I um, looked up looked up to and he he tried to get the best out of me and made me feel good as a player so I, he's he's kind of the beacon for me of what I want my players to kind of feel about our relationship between myself and them um just how he treated me and how he made me feel that I could I could do anything and I could be anything I wanted to be and I think as a leader that's your job to inspire people to be the best to be the best that they can be um and he certainly did that for me so that time was it was the best time in my life um, those those years at the club, and I wish we obviously won more. We didn't, but it was still great. And to be able to to live the dream of being a professional player in a really successful team, and now the league's exploded even past that. Um, but now I'm back in New England living another dream. So being able to lead my own team, I've always envisioned that for myself. So I'm really excited, really excited about it. And you mentioned Paul Mariner, obviously a legendary player who had a lot of success as the assistant coach of the Revolution. Steve Nichol as well, another legendary player uh, as the head coach who had a lot of success as a Revs. Um, what did you learn from the two of those guys? Uh, you know, we mentioned leadership. What did you learn from the two of those guys that you consider, you know, that you carry into your coaching now? Yeah, honestly, and it might sound weird or cliche or whatever but like i don't remember anything about the game that they ever told me like i don't remember if they say hey cut in here or shoot here or do this or do that like i don't i don't remember that i just remember how they 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 treated me um and they treated me well whether that you know it's taking me out of the team and things like that and you know with stevie it was you know i was I, i'm under no under no illusions of how i was as a player i was pretty consistent i could be the worst player on the field one day i could be the best player on the field the next day so i was always in and out of the team so thinking of of that how do i deal with that situation where a player is that that is it's going to be like that it's going to be inconsistent and how how do i um deal with that situation how do i tell the player do i not tell them um that they're starting that they're on the bench like so little situations like that i think it's is what i remember the most and obviously like i said about paul like paul was just the inspiration for me he used to tell me i could be an mls all-star and whether he believed it or not like he he believed that and and that made me work um so I think just how you treat people and how you treat players is the most important because that's all the great coaches that I've had in the past from, you know, and even teachers and people of that nature. Like you don't remember the things that they, that they taught you. You remember what they said and how they treated you. So I honestly, those are the things that I honestly remember both. And, you know, maybe they gave me little tidbits of how to shoot and how to dribble and how to take people on and where to pass and how to look for a pass. But the most important thing for me is what, how they treated me. So Again, that's all that's all leadership and being a good person and being a good human being and having good beliefs and values, you know. So I think that's what's most important. 
And I'm curious, I remember actually when Paul became head coach at Toronto, he, he mentioned you, um, I think it was a couple of years after your last stint with the Revs and said, maybe, you know, you might be able to come back to MLS as a left back. Was there actually anything to that? Did he ever reach out to you at that point? And uh, was there any talk about you coming back to MLS in, in 2012? Uh, no. So like, I, I think, you know, my looking back on it, my career was ending and, you know, it's, it was no fault of anybody else who bought my own, um, you know, I think my body was starting to break down and maybe could have did certain things to, to take care of myself and take care of my body better. But, you know, I think I was losing my edge and my edge was my athleticism. So it was just natural that at that time, I look at, look at the speeds I was probably running, like you can't sustain that um, for too long. So, and that was my greatest asset. So maybe my game didn't adapt and, you know, we had some conversations, but they weren't, they weren't serious and rightfully so because I probably wasn't at the level um, anymore. So, and I didn't really want to move around and I wanted to just stay in new England. So that's how I ended up, ended up coaching in the Academy. But I think now in today's game, I for sure would have been a left back or a center back. And that's again, like a, a major regret of mine because I think it's so easy to see the game from back there. And obviously I ended up doing that for my national team quite a bit playing at, um, in center back. And, and I really enjoyed it. So I like, you know, like, man, I wish maybe somebody had the um, had the vision for me to be able to do that in my playing career because I do think now that I had I had the attributes to do that. Like, look, being a good passer in the final third is completely different than it is in the defensive third. So I think my passing wasn't great in the final third and my decision-making wasn't great. But I think as a left-back or center-back, I think my skills would have translated really well. So I think today in the modern game, I certainly would have would have been that and – if I had to do it all over again, I would have put my ego aside and been been a defender. But you know, you don't grow up playing the game to to want to be a center back or a left back. You want to be the person scoring the goals and creating goals. So I think if I had to do it all over again, that's what that's the position I would I would want to play because I did I did really really enjoy playing center back for my national team and I did and I just found the game so much easier because you see everything. Um, so if I had to do my career all over again, that was certainly where I would, I would put myself. And if I was coaching myself, that's where I would put myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I do want to jump into your coaching career, but before I do, I have one last question about the Revs. We've had a, a lot of your teammates on from that era, and we've heard some great stories from those years. One one that stood out was the, the giant stolen Easter bunny after the Open Cup victory in 2007. <laughs> do you have any memories of yeah. that or any other good stories from those years that, oh, we, that yeah. we should know about? <laughs> I certainly remember the bunny. I forget his name. Uh, he had a name, and I can't remember where we stole him from. I think we stole him from a hotel in uh, in Dallas. Um, and a certain player was primarily his caregiver. I wouldn't name him unless he's named himself to you. But he was the one that was mostly responsible. He's the one that stole him, and he's the one that brought him on the road. And I don't know. He's probably like three foot. Like it was, uh, it was a huge bunny. Um, and he traveled with us the rest of that year, all the way up to the MLS MLS Cup again. Um, so that was, that was a real funny story. Um, it was just, it just happened. Obviously, we were out celebrating and probably still a little bit intoxicated the morning after we left the hotel to after that final on a Wednesday night. So somehow that bunny managed to make his way on the bus and he got put on the conveyor belt and he was traveling with us the rest of the season. So that was, that was a really, really fun story. Um, I forget his name. I wish, I wish I remembered his name, but he certainly had a name. Um, but yeah, I, was, I mean, it's so many, so many others, like nothing that comes to my head right now. Um, maybe a funny one with, with Paul that I also tell people cause it was like totally out of character for him. Um, 
but we were doing a passing drill in training and it was a young player. I won't name him because I don't, <laughs> I don't want to do that to him, but it was a really basic passing exercise that ended with a simple 10 yard pass into goal. Um, and the ball should never leave the ground. It should have been, shouldn't have been in the air. It's just fairly simple. Like you dribble and pass the ball into the net, like just roll it into the net. And Paul ended up standing by the net he obviously thought it was safe, like it was a mini goal. Um, so he was standing there, and this kid, he just, uh, for some reason, he tried and hit this ball as hard as he could into this mini goal from 10 yards, and he missed and ended up hitting Paul in the head and knocked his glasses off his head, and he was human. He was absolutely, and he was, how is that possible? It's a 10-yard pass, and you lifted the ball in the air, and you just knocked his glasses off. So it was completely funny at the time. Um Obviously felt bad for him and the kid, but it was it was something that that I laugh at all the time because that was such out of character for him to get that to get that upset. And if he did, like you did something wrong, and he was one hundred percent right. The guy should have never been shooting the ball that hard. And I know he wasn't aiming for Paul; he was aiming for the goal, and he missed and hit Paul and knocked his full glasses off. So. <laughs> And going back to coaching, I know you got an early start. I actually had a teammate um, in high school that you had a, that had you as a coach for a, a soccer club called Mission. I don't know if you remember those days. I think his, I think his dad Brian Dudley was actually your assistant coach back then. Was that your first foray into coaching? And did you know then that you wanted to pursue coaching when you were done playing? Yeah, so I think you know my I think my first kind of foray was like I, I started doing like these training programs, uh, Carver coaching with a friend of mine now actually in Hingham, and he's still a friend of mine and again someone that I'm really looking forward to connecting. He kind of started me with it, um, and his son was doing it, and uh, so that's where I kind of get my got my start in the coaching. That was like my first year into the res, and it was like at that time it was just a way to to make some extra money, um, and then obviously just naturally kind of just translated went into that look you think about the game now and especially in this country so many more ways for for players to um to get into the game like obviously you can work in the front office you can work in the media you can do podcast you can do whatever like it's so many different things for those guys to do now but back then it wasn't so that was kind of naturally what I just gravitated towards because I obviously wanted to stay in the game um, so then obviously I got into the game and then you start creating these visions and dreams for yourself of what you want to do. Um, and I'm obviously, I'm still, still on that coaching journey and wherever, wherever it takes me. And it's obviously brought me here, but I think it kind of naturally, naturally just happened because it just wasn't much else for players to do that wanted to stay in the game. Like guys were getting, weren't getting hired for front office positions. It's either you worked in youth soccer or if you, you know, we're lucky enough to, to get afforded the opportunity to go straight into a first team environment somewhere, then that's how you, you stayed in the game. But so look, I've, I've always wanted to work in sports, even when, you know, I, I left um, college and went home to Bermuda. I was working as a PE teacher for a little bit. So whatever it would have been, it would have been something for me involved in the game would have been something like that. And I guess in a teacher coach slash mentor role, you know, and you mentioned after playing um, that you had a role at Southern New Hampshire University, I think, as an assistant coach. Was that was that kind of your first coaching job after your playing days? No. So, actually, I started working in the Revs Academy program and literally in the, I guess, the as grassroots level as possible, doing, like, the player development programs. Um, I started working in those um, right after I got done playing with the Revs. Um, and then that kind of – 
morphed into me working in the obviously it was the DA, DA at the time, um, the developmental academy, but obviously the professional academy part of the um, the you set up in New England and started doing that. Um, and we actually had a really good U18 team and um, a player that's obviously played played for us back then, and he's obviously going on to have a successful USL career. Zach Zach Harville was a big part of that team, and yeah many other guys and good players that were involved in that system like Mitch Tainer was was uh, he was in the academy when I when I started started playing there and he's obviously in San Antonio now and defender of the year last year so it's you know it's that's where my career kind of took me to and then after that I, I just you know I think I had been working on and off for the Reds organization for like 10 years and I just didn't see um next step so I just wanted something different and um, then the coach of Southern New Hampshire at the time was Josh Josh Taylor and Josh was actually um, he was an intern um, under the team admins in the first team when I was a player so he I got that coaching job and he said would I he asked me would I be interested in coming up and working with him I said yeah I'm like it's actually not a bad idea and I was able to make good income because those guys have um, they have a bunch of youth setups and you know programs up there, so I was able to do that. Do that working for the school, and the biggest piece for me is being able to start my masters, and it's something that I always wanted to do. But again, like I I told you before, it's with my thoughts of education, it's probably something that I wouldn't have really invested in myself fully. Um, but that opportunity came, and I was able to do my masters. Um, obviously, started for free. Um, because I was a I was a, a staff member, um, and then after that, that's when the league went into the partnership with Southern New Hampshire. Anyway, so at that point, then at worst, I was able to get seventy five percent off of tuition because I had been in the league long enough. Um, and then that's when the opportunity in Orlando came to go and work for the Pride. And I always some some part of me always just wanted to live in Florida because I felt even in my time in Florida, I felt that it was it felt most like home. Um, just like how the air hits you, how it smells, like all of that stuff. It was just it's closer to Bermuda. So I, I really enjoyed my time in Orlando, and that's how I, that's how I ended up there. Um, but, yeah, that's how my journey kind of morphed, morphed into where it is now and then, you know, being, being here in Bur- well, being in Birmingham and now in Rhode Island. What was the experience like in Orlando coaching a you know, NWSL team? Yeah, it was, it was really good, honestly. Like, again, the guy – who was my head coach is Tom Samadhi. And again, someone that's like, we, we speak all the time and he's, he's just a great human being and how he treated all of us and as staff and um, how he treated the players. Like you never find anyone that says a bad word about him. Like you, you could never find someone that says a bad word about Tom because he's literally the most unselfish and kind and kind and empathetic human being you could ever meet. Um, so it was great to work with him. And he showed me, you know, I'm like, coming in I'm this young guy I'm coming in like I'm all like ready and ready to go but he's just calm and everything's thoughtful and he thinks through stuff so I learned a lot of that um from him but again for me it just boils down to relationships like you cannot get people to work and work hard for you and work hard for the team if you don't treat them properly so how how he treated the players and how he treated staff um, is something that I really learned learned a lot from him, and he's someone who will always be being mentor to me. And you know, we we speak probably like twice a month, even though he's in he's in Australia. Um, but it was great; it was just a great environment. Um, and obviously, the club was new, and the first year wasn't that good. But then the next year, we were actually really good. 
Um, we got Marta in, we got Sid LaRue, and we already had Alex Morgan. She went on loan um, to Leon, but then she came back mid-year, and we kind of just went on a real run um, and obviously made it to the playoffs and made, made it to the semifinals and obviously lost to Portland, who was, was still an NWSL um, juggernaut. But it was it was really good to be in an environment like that with, with players that are just at the top of their game and they're going to push you and they want to be pushed and they want information and they're demanding of you and they'll give you everything if you treat them right. Um, and I think, I think we did. Uh, and our time in Orlando was just a really good time for me. I really enjoyed my time living in Florida. I made some really, really good friends and close friends um, that are going to be lifelong friends. So, you know, at some point I see myself when I'm older living back in Florida again, because I obviously want to live, live in, in the States, but, um, I want to live somewhere, somewhere warm. Once, once my my time coaching is over, so uh, Orlando will always, always have a special place in my heart. And then after that, was it? We talked a bit about Birmingham, but did, was it Jay Heaps that recruited you to to join him at, at Birmingham, or, or, or who was it that? How did that opportunity kind of come about? Yeah, good question. So, you know, the, our third year in Orlando wasn't going great, and look, the head coach was he was he was kind of. I think he felt that he was going to leave, even though he had another year left on his contract. But I just think he felt the time was up with the group and they needed a new voice. And look, I, I didn't want to be a head coach at that time. Um, so he was like, look, just, you know, start looking at options. And I was like, I, cause I, I felt it, you know, that he wasn't going to be there. And so I obviously wanted to, to get ahead of things. And um, so I was, and I started speaking to USL clubs. I spoke to one um, and I went and visited and I did all of that. And, it just didn't feel like the right fit for me. So I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do next? And then I obviously saw that Tommy and Jay were taking over in Birmingham. So I actually just reached out to Tommy and I said, Hey, um, you know, I'm coaching in Orlando right now. Um, you know, I heard that you and Jay are taking over and I was like, do you have an assistant yet? And he said, no. And he's like, actually, I never really thought of you, but he's like, actually, that's, let's have a conversation. And, um, why don't you come into Birmingham and have a look and we can interview you and you can interview us. And so that's how it came about. And I went, I met him, um, sat with him, had dinner with him and Jay, and then um, they chatted and then they offered me the job like a couple of days after me coming in and visiting. So um, yeah, again, it's all about relationships and being able to pick up the phone and connect with people and use your network. Um, but if I never did that, maybe, maybe I'm not here because they obviously weren't thinking of me at the time, but it was me me picking up the phone and, and reaching out to Tommy. Having all this experience playing and coaching in a lot of different areas, how, how do soccer fans in New England and Rhode Island kind of compare to, to what you've seen elsewhere? And what are you kind of expecting from this RAFC fan base? Yeah, I had the pleasure of meeting a couple of guys um, from the supporter group this past weekend. They're just so excited and, and raring to go and they want to create an environment that's that's going to be hard for opposing teams to, to kind of come to. And look, I, I think Rhode Island is a little bit the fan base and the soccer fan base. I just think it's so many more different cultures um, in that area because it's obviously it's just a, a mixed bag of people that are coming from all over the world. And it's what's really good. And, you know, the food's different. Like it's, the food's really diverse, and these guys are telling me all the restaurants that I need to go check, like Colombian restaurants and Jamaican restaurants, which I end up going to anyway. Um, but I just think it's – it's look, people love the game, and that's what's going to be the similarities. People all over the world love the game. So how they celebrate it and they show their passion and, and their desire for the game is going to differ. 
Um, but I, I do think these guys in, in Rhode Island are really, really excited and hyped and hyped for the team, and they're going to provide us with an environment that opposing teams are not going to like coming to because it's not going to be warm for long periods of time. And, you know, these guys are telling me all the things that they want to do, the TIFOs, the smoke, and, and all these things that they want to bring to make to make it a difficult place for opposing teams to come. So I think it's going to be a really, really exciting environment um, once once we do get going. And you obviously got an opportunity to come to the Revs because they went to Bermuda for preseason and, and you know saw you down there. Do you, do you anticipate doing any scouting in Bermuda yourself or perhaps any any RIFC preseasons there? Yeah, I mean, you know, we we spoke about preseason the other day, and but you know, I think we'll we'll have we'll have to go somewhere because um, it's just really difficult to to train outside in New England at that time. And where do we go? And like, look, I I always have my my pulse on what's happening in Bermuda and the good young players. And again, the, the landscape has kind of changed for players in Bermuda because the players that have any real ambition and ability, ability um, as young players, they leave, they leave early now. And a lot of them are going to England, um, getting involved in academies in England. Like we have, a, we have a player at West Ham. We have a player at Aston Villa. We have a player at, um, I think Bournemouth. We have a player at Leicester. Um, so those kids are, are leaving much earlier. And look, looking back, if I was that age, that's probably something that I've wanted wanted to do. Um, so look, there's still good players playing in Bermuda. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, the late teens to early twenties, there's still good players playing in Bermuda. And I always have my my pulse um, on that and who's doing well and who's who's making a difference and who could be potentially a player that could play outside of the country. But our our search for players is not going to end anywhere so it's not going to stop in Bermuda it's not going to stop in New England obviously we want players from New England and we want we just want the best players that are available that are going to fit into what we're trying to do and how we're going to play and again being part of the community and I think it's important um, for the community to have connections to the players so we want players to understand what it's like to be from Rhode Island and what it's like to be from New England and it's it's a different region it's a different part of the country so it takes a different type of person to us uh, understand that, but we're going to have, you know, we're going to have local tryouts. And I think it's really important that we give everyone um, in the community a chance and show that we're doing that. And look, it's, it's going to be some good players in that area. Um, that's no doubt about it. Like I, I played in men's leagues and all those things afterwards. And I've seen, I've seen what the the talent and the young players are like in that area. So, you know, we're going to build relationships with, with local youth clubs. And obviously I, I believe in, giving young players an opportunity because somebody had to give me an opportunity. So I believe, and you just have to believe in people sometimes and trust in them and, and give them an opportunity, but we're going to go hopefully all over, all over. And, you know, just, just scouting and looking for the best players, best players possible that are going to make us into a really, really good USL club. And do you have a style of play in mind that you would like to play next year, or is it more dependent on what players are able to bring in? Look, I definitely have a vision of, of how I feel and what the game should look like. And I obviously want to dominate the game with the ball. But for me, how I see the game is that is that um, with the ball, you're obviously trying to create space and make space against someone that's not trying to allow you to give space, right? So they're trying to take space away from you when the opponent um, doesn't have the ball. So when you have the ball, they're trying to take it away. And when you have it, they're trying to create it. So you have to create the space somewhere. Um, so say, for example, like I think people um, 
I think people get enamored with like, oh yeah, we play out of the back and what does that look like? And yeah, of course we want to play out of the back, but you have to understand the reason behind it. And the reason behind it is being able to create space. So if the opposition is pressing you high, um, there's no longer space in the midfield, or maybe it is, but if the opposition is high and they're pressing you high and the back line is high, then it's pretty obvious that the space is in behind them. So you have to get the ball in behind them and play in behind them. So you want to attract them to the ball to be able to play in the space behind them. So it's really silly um, to continue to try and play in the midfield if the space is in behind. Um, so that's the goal is to get into the, get behind the opposition and, uh, and create goal scoring opportunities. So you obviously have to create goal scoring opportunities to score goals. Um, so that's the name of the game is to score goals. Um, so we want to score goals. And even when we don't have the ball, the aim of the game is to try and score goals. So you want to win the ball back to try and score goals. So want to be exciting. You want people to want to come back and, are we going to win every game? No, but at least you want people to be entertained and say, hey, yeah, you know what? Those guys worked hard. They worked for each other. They're a good team. They have good body language. Um, it's all into it and have a common goal. And you can see that they're trying to collectively try to do something together. So I guess the, a long way of saying what my what my style of play is like. So hopefully it's enjoyable for people to watch and it's good passing and creating a lot of goal scoring opportunities. And then being difficult to play against when you don't have the ball because to think that you're going to be a team that's going to have the ball the entire game, every game, it's, it's, it's not realistic. So you have to be able to defend properly as well and take away the space that the opponent's trying to create. And then the, the last question I'd like to end every interview with is, what is your best memory so far in your soccer career? As, as someone that covered the revolution, obviously that goal against uh, the Metro Stars in the playoffs and that comeback win comes to mind. But is that, is that your favorite mo- memory or is there something else? Yeah, you know, I feel like all my moments, all my good moments are like followed by tragedy. <laughs> so obviously that one, to, to score that winner and to be able to come back and win 3-2 after um, being down 2-0. Um, and for me to score the winner, that was obviously like probably my biggest moment, in, moment individually. Um, but then that was followed by me going off the field five minutes later with um, damaged knee cartilage and I didn't play again for another eight months so obviously missed the final that year I missed the next round so that was pretty tragic but that was in that moment that was a high I actually have a picture of that moment where I ran over to the bench and I hugged Paul and it's pretty cool because all my teammates are just on top of me so you don't see me in the picture like I don't like looking at myself in pictures so it's all my teammates in the picture and me hugging Paul um that was a big moment. And then the other big moment was probably um, when I got the assist in the, uh, in the, in the first loss to Houston. So I picked the ball up, I dribbled and, and played Taylor. He, he finished like Taylor does. Like all you had to do is get him the ball in the box. And, but then again, it was followed by a tragedy. Like they went down and scored a minute later. So obviously looking back on it. Yeah. That moment was great. It, it, could I take that moment away and me not being the guy to get the assist and we win the game, I would change that in a heartbeat. Um, but then winning the Open Cup, you know, the, the first trophy in the club's history, and, you know, that's something that I'll always cherish and being able to part of the team that, that won the first the club's first trophy. So it's multiple moments. I think I also played really well in the second Houston final. Like, I, I think I played really, really well that game. Um, and again, we ended up losing. Like, we, we completely dominated them in the first half, but then they made changes in the second half and 
came back and won the game. So probably probably those those three, my first goal would be something I always remember. That was against um, Kansas City. I have a picture of that. Like somebody found that picture and gave it to me. So I have a picture of me celebrating that goal, which is pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, it, it was so many, so many good memories. But those those would probably be, be the highlights of, of those for me. Well, thanks so much, Connor. I really appreciate your time today and looking forward to, to covering RAFC and, and seeing you down at some of the games there. No, I appreciate it. Look forward to uh, look forward to seeing you and, and connecting with you. So it's uh, it's going to be fun. So I'm, I'm really excited to get up there and uh, build a good team and be something that everyone from Rhode Island can uh, can relate to and be proud of the team that's that's going to be on the field. Well, good, good luck with all the roster building and, and getting everything ready. All right, appreciate it. Thanks, Sean.